and I appreciate him, and I'm glad he's here, Sister Casey. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. My text that I'm going to preach from is going to be a little bit later in my message. Last time I spoke to you, I, I felt prompted to ask a question prior to my uh, prior to my message really beginning, and it dealt with our knowledge, and it dealt with how we are active uh, toward that knowledge, how we behave toward it, and, and I felt prompted again to ask another question this morning, and I don't know if God's going to ask me or have me ask questions every time I come to the pulpit, but I'm a God, I got one for you today. The question is this, does what we know, does what we know leave room for God? Does what we know leave room for him to work? Does what we, does what we think about religion and, and church and, and how we, we approach it, does what we know leave room for God moving in our lives like he wants to? That's a, I want you to think about that as we go a little bit further in our and what we explore today, the, the, the title of my message this morning will be A Simple Invitation. A Simple Invitation. And I've been really, um, recently I've been blessed, I guess you would say, uh, to be inducted into a very prestigious society. It's kind of an alliance. It's not a secret society, so relax. Um, it's really, it really should be a support group, honestly. And it is the the... Uh, I stand in solidarity with other men who have had to give their daughters away to be married. And I'm sure some of you have, have done that as well. And thank you so much for not preparing me for that. I did not know the emotional toll that that would take in my life. Somebody could have told me something. And as the, my fellow members have learned before me, whenever they do this, that weddings, weddings, uh, they're not simple events. There's nothing simple. That was simple for me whenever I got married 25 years ago. I, I barely knew what I was doing and what was going on around me. I had my, my future wife kind of telling me where to go and what to do, and, and, that, and that hasn't changed much. Yeah, that hasn't changed much over the years. I'm very thankful for that, by the way. And, 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 but anyway, I, I've, I was able to, to look at... My, my daughter's uh, wedding and, and, and see it kind of in an objective way. And I stood amazed at the planning that is necessary to create this threshold moment in a woman's life. Every minute date detail is laboriously, I want to accentuate that word, laboriously studied and calculated and recalculated. I learned that in a successful wedding, nothing is completely left up to the woefully fallible male members of the human species. I was given, some, I was very fortunate in that I was able to perform the ceremony for my daughter. I felt very blessed for that. But all other things, I believe that I was just, I was, I was manipulated into certain areas so I wouldn't cause much damage. At one time, they gave me large bags of concrete and told me to go play outside. I, think, I believe it was an um, adult sandbox. I had to create these little things to put candles in. And I believe they just did that to give me something to do to, to keep me out of the way. 
There was, there was, however, one very important aspect of the preparation that I was allowed to participate in with appropriate female supervision. I was allowed to put the invitation. I was able to hold it and look at it for a very brief period of time. And then I was allowed to put, the, put it in the envelope. And then I was allowed to seal it. And then I had to remove my hands and do something else. But I was able to see the invitation that, that would tell others about my daughter being married. And it's very wise that my, my wife and, and my daughter did not allow me to do that, to, to, to invite people to use my method, because I would simply just call them up on the phone and say, hey, my daughter's getting married. She's beautiful, and he's handsome, and there's going to be great food. Why don't you come? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Working with those invitations reminded me that the the ladies of our lives, they, they really don't have a whole lot of faith in other people's ability to understand important things. Wedding invitations are obvious. They're very obvious. When you get one in the mail, you know it's not a bill. Nobody that wants money from you is going to spend that amount of money on, a, on what they mail to you. They're not going to spend that amount of money on a, on a bill. It's not going to look that good. So wedding invitations are obvious. There is no ambiguity associated with your summons to see someone wed. We understand from the context of our lives, we understand from the context of our lives that this event is important to someone. It's important to someone. We know that what that envelope contains. We don't even have to open it. We understand. We may not know who it's for, but we understand that this is a big deal for somebody. Why is that? Why do we know? Because it is elaborate. Wedding invitations are elaborate and tries to persuade us. It tries to be persuasive in all of its gilded, embellished glory. But not all invitations are as obvious as wedding invitations. I wish they were. We stand at times in the presence of God, and he beckons us. And he does not give us that gilded, embellished card that says, hey, I want to do something in your life. So not all invitations are nearly as obvious as wedding invitations. Some are simple. Some are very simple. Some come in forms that defy convention. Some are configured in ways, some are configured in ways, ladies and gentlemen, that we actually want to reject. The event to which you are being summoned, it may be momentous, it may be life-changing, but sometimes the invitation's simplicity or its seemingly common envelope may belie that event's enormous importance and what may happen in your life if you answer. Because of the customary nature of our modern society, because of those wedding invitations, because of what we know, because, because of what we've been trained to believe, the importance of an event is normally reflected in the grandeur of the invitation. If it is not 
if the invitation, if the, if, the, if the summons, if the appeal for our attendance isn't elaborate, well, we think the event's not very elaborate either. We think it's in, inconsequential. We think we can pass. If you are invited to a function at the White House, that request will normally be augmented by serious scrutiny, by security. You'll keep the invitation if you ever... You're invited to stand before the Queen of England. That invitation is meaningful. People keep those. This mental bias birthed from what we naturally know, what we've derived from our lives in this world, can at times cause us to miss the subtle voice of God in His request to be the fulfillment of that missing part of our lives. We're looking for something that God isn't necessarily going to give us. You see, we configure within our minds an appropriate invitation to divine connection and revelation. We design it based upon expectations derived from our, from our interaction with this world. We create in our minds, if God's going to come to me, if he's going to do something in my life, if I'm going to move toward him, if I'm going to allow him to direct my path, then he's going to have to approach me in a certain way. He's going to have to speak to me in a certain way. He's going to have to draw me according to what I have determined is the appropriate manner. We create a template for God's call. And if his invitation to interaction does not fit within those parameters, we are blind to his presence and deaf to his voice. Our contact with the Lord must fit within the acceptable mold that we allow. Otherwise, we aren't receptive to his overtures of relationship or his divine direction for our lives. I believe that God has drawn us or is drawing us to a deeper, more significant relationship with him in this day and hour. I felt his presence so strongly earlier in our worship service. I felt that beckoning call of God. He's not going to deliver you an invitation. But that call was in the worship, in what you felt tugging at your heart. That longing that you felt, that is the invitation of God to something extraordinary in your life, something that can change you, something that can cause you to be different when you leave this place than when you came. Part of our text this morning will be found in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. It's going to be during the beginning, the very beginning of Jesus' our Lord's earthly ministry. It's going to be specifically the time which he begins to call his, his disciples together. This narrative illustrates that our natural inclinations and ingrained thought processes have the potential to be a serious barrier to relationship with Christ. 
Our text is going to be found in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 49. Immediately prior to this reading, Jesus had called Andrew and Peter to follow him and, and brings us to Philip to an exchange that, that we kind of read through in the Bible and we go on to what we feel are more important things. But there's a lot to be said for what I'm about to read to you. In verse 43, it says this, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. After he called Andrew and after he called Peter, after he began something majestic in their lives, he would go forth into Galilee and found Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. So Jesus left where he was, and he went searching for this specific man. And let's be honest. This is really how we want the Lord's appeal for interaction to occur. We want to be pursued by Jesus, don't we? We do. We want it to be conspicuous. We want God to, we want the preacher to come and lay hands on us. We will do that, by the way. Just give us some time. We want the prophet to come and and prophesy over us. We want him to call us out of the congregation. Those things happen, and, and when they're in order, they're fine. That's how we want to be called and and invited to a deeper relationship with the Lord. We want the Lord's call for relationship to be overt. We want it to be conspicuous. And oftentimes we want it to be very, very obvious. This would appeal to our sense of self-worth. It would stroke our ego. And most importantly, most importantly, It would be painless for us and easy to identify. What is so amazing to understand and appreciate as we sit here this morning is that the Lord's original invitation to us, it was overt. It was conspicuous. It was also very painful and very humiliating, but not for you and I. It was humiliating and painful and overt for Jesus. As, he's, as he hung between heaven and earth, as he spilled his blood on Calvary, as he was humiliated by the very creation that he was trying to save. That appeal was conspicuous. Verse 44, it says, Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And verse 45 says that after Philip was, was in contact with Christ, And it says, Philip findeth Nathanael. Something happened in this man. And saith to him, we have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46 is interesting, and it says this, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him three very important words. Come and see. Come and see. You've been waiting under a fig tree. You've learned about God. You have been waiting on the Messiah. When I tell you he's here, you're incredulous. You don't believe me. 
I'll tell you what I'll do, Nathaniel. You just follow me to Jesus. And once you get there, I'll let him do the convincing. When you begin to study the origins of various biblical characters, specifically the disciples of Jesus, what you learn would seem to indicate that Philip and Nathaniel were students of the law and the prophets. They were not ignorant men. We have this concept that all of Jesus' disciples were ignorant fishermen running around unclothed, very brutish. That may have been some, but not these two. They were not ignorant men. They were at least educated in the knowledge in, and knowledgeable of those things associated with their God. In other words, they knew the established religious template of their time. They understood how things work in church. I've been a, I have been behind a pulpit for a few years, and, and I've been attending a Pentecostal church for a considerable amount of my time, as many of you have, and, and we've got church down. We know how church works. We know when we walk in that the music's going to start and it's going to be a good song and we're going to feel God's presence, then we're going to have the announcements and, and, and one of the ministry teams going to come up and try to get us to give money. We're going to do that. And then we don't do that very hard, though, you have to admit. And then we're going we're gonna to tell you about what's going to be coming up in the weeks, and then they're going to start with the music again and the, and the worship and the very capable leading of Sister Casey, and, and we're going to feel God's presence move. And then, and then if God doesn't do things right on time, if he doesn't interrupt, Jason, if he doesn't interrupt, well, we're going to go on to the preaching, and that's when we can relax. Praise God. Especially when Brother Ben gets back there. He's kind of long-winded. We can kind of relax. We can, we can, we can sit back, and, and church is pretty much over for us from there until, until we get to the altar call. And the altar call, really, it's just kind of optional, isn't it? We really don't have to respond to it if we don't want to. We don't have to listen to the invitation of Christ as he tries to draw us into a deeper relationship with him from the very moment The church service begins until the very last word that is said across this pulpit. God is trying to draw you, Grace Church, to something deeper, something more significant, to move you out of the place that you're in, to move you in His Spirit, to allow you to work and to be work and to be functional in the body of Christ. You have desired something more momentous in your life. You have desired something more powerful in your life. But why don't you listen to the invitation of Christ? So these two men, they understood church. They they knew the established religious template. They knew how it worked. This text, however, in the Gospel of John indicates that Philip, that Philip at least recognized from his study that Jesus was different. Jesus, he was that Messiah that they had been waiting for. He stood before the Lord and and had the revelation of Jesus' divine nature. And then he did something interesting. He moved, he moved, ladies and gentlemen, 
toward God. When he received his invitation, he moved. He did not deliberate the value of the call. He did not count the cost to the conditions of his life during the Lord's appeal for him to follow. The Scripture does not indicate that Philip waited on the margins after Christ's invitation to scrutinize this new movement to better determine its viability. Scripture indicates that he simply encountered the reality of God. And then he said yes. He encountered the reality of God. He was moved by the contact that he had with Christ. And then this man who had been studying Scripture and knew church, he didn't simply walk away or stand on the margins or sit on the pews. The Bible says that this man was moved by the Spirit of God. And he had to find somebody and tell them about Jesus. I wonder, how often do we move to tell somebody about the God who saved our soul? How often are we just satisfied with the, with the, the trappings of Christianity? Having some beautiful place to go to church and, and hear good music. But we don't move to tell anybody about the one who saved our soul. Nathaniel's invitation was different than Philip's. We know that Nathaniel is actually Bartholomew, the disciple of Christ. We see from Nathaniel's statement, Nazareth, can anything come good come from there? That he held the town of Nazareth in the same regard as many of the Jews of that day. Nazareth and all the area around Galilee was seen as a low and common and wicked place. Even Nathanael himself, a Galilean, was doubtful that anything good, let alone the Messiah, could originate from that area. The context of Nathanael's life predisposed him to skepticism toward anything divine originating from the mundane. He was sitting under a fig tree with an image in his head of the Messiah, formed from his religious education and experiences. He was, as many of us are, bound to the structures of our culture and past. His perception of Nazareth and his knowledge of the area in which he lived was deeply ingrained, was a deeply ingrained barrier to the possibility and the presence of God. It would have been acceptable to him if the Messiah had come from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but not Nazareth. The invitation in his mind to redemption and restoration the invitation that he held within himself of relationship with God was necessarily grand and it was embellished and it was glorious. It was not in the simple form of a carpenter walking in sandals down the filthy streets of Nazareth. As Philip stood before him in obvious excitement, he could not reconcile the magnificence of the Messiah being manifested in the body of a Galilean. But you will notice that Philip, he did not pummel Nathaniel with Scripture. He didn't pummel him with his knowledge of the Word. He did not highlight the parallels between Jesus and, and his fulfillment of prophecy. 
Philip did not regale his friend with the accounts of the Lord's miraculous works. He did not stand there and try to personally persuade his friend. He simply uttered three little words. He spoke a simple invitation that transferred the responsibility, transferred the responsibility of divine epiphany to the one being capable of truly accomplishing the revelation, and that being was Jesus. Philip simply said, come and see. When he was confronted with a resistance born from a jaded mind, his default position was not in the eloquence of his argument. It was in the manifest presence and power of God. The simplicity of that invitation underscored Philip's confidence in Christ. He didn't have to argue. He didn't have to convince. And what's so exciting is neither do I. I don't stand, I don't have to stand here and convince you how great God is. I don't have to stand here and regale you with the scripture that I know. I don't, I don't have to convince you that I know what I'm talking about. All I have to do to you folks this morning is tell you, come and see. I serve a God that wants to make a change in your life. I don't have to convince you of this. I'll let God do that for me. So many of you have stand on the periphery of the presence of God. You've been looking from the outside in. My request of you this morning in a few moments, whenever we have the musicians come up, and you know what I'm getting to. What did you say, brother? Somebody's paying attention. That's all I'm going to have to do. Those three simple words remove the opportunity for endless fruitless debate that simple invitation required nothing of philip it simply required his incredulous friend to move toward god you will recognize and this is something you're going to have to understand you're going to recognize the overture or appeal of the lord towards you because an invitation from God moves you toward him verse 47 says Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile you will notice that Jesus did not speak to Nathanael until Nathanael moved toward him Nathaniel's need compelled him to accept the invitation of God, even though it was expressed in a form he would normally reject. Sometimes the, the confirmation of the reality of God in whatever form it takes only comes after we make that move toward him. You want to be pursued, but he's saying, I'm right here. You want that overture, that invitation to be conspicuous and grand. And he's saying, I'm right here. 
Samuel saith unto him, Whence knowest me? Jesus answered and said unto him in verse 48, Behold, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. There is power in those three words. It is that simple invitation. The call of God for connection to you and I will rarely manifest with the majesty that we think that we think or expect it should. All too often it is expressed in the still small voice, in the tugging of his spirit during a worship service that promises comfort or the assurance of help in those desperate moments of our lives. Come and see requires that you move toward God. It places you in his manifest presence. It opens you to the revelation of his reality. Whenever we have altar uh, services, whenever we are called up here, there are two places that you can go. Those doors are always open. And so is this altar. There's something we need to know and acknowledge about church. There is no doubt that those people who our pastor allows to stand behind this pulpit are expected to be anointed of God and deliver messages inspired by the Holy Ghost. That's his expectation of us. And those messages that, that, that the men who preach and women who preach behind this pulpit, they have a purpose. And that purpose is not to generate accolades for the preacher. They are not meant to advance the reputation or standing of the speaker. The purpose of the word that is delivered across this sacred desk is to effect a change in the lives of those who hear it. At the core of those messages is an invitation to that which is holy. At the end of the day, those inspired messages can be coalesced into a simple summons. Every single message almost that you hear across this pulpit can be coalesced into three words. Come and see. Every message that you hear across this pulpit, everyone that enters your, your life, if it doesn't move you toward God, then you have not allowed the invitation to penetrate your heart. To put it in the simple words of our, our brother Philip, if you need deliverance from the addictions that destroy the relationship your relationships, and your lives, come and see. If you need emotional healing from the ravages of this world, come and see. If you need relationship with God, come and see. If you struggle against the weight of this world and need a burden lifted, come and see. If you need forgiveness, come and see. If you need a path forward, Come and see. If you are bound by anxiety and depression and need liberation, come and see. If you are sick in your body and you don't know where to turn, come and see. If you are bound by the walls of this world, come and see. If you don't know where to turn, come and see. I serve a God that is able 
to change the course of your life, to move you beyond where you are. But you're going to have to be obedient to that call. Nathaniel's summons to the extraordinary was not delivered to him in the manner or envelope which he had created in his mind. It was actually in a form that he could have easily rejected. Why is this? Why? Why would God do that? You need to listen to this. Because so often for us to see the presence of God manifested in our lives... We have to move beyond those entrenched perceptions of what we find acceptable and reasonable. I can't go to that altar. People are going to know what I've done. They know my history. They're not going to forgive me. People know what condition I'm in. I'm not going to go up there. I'm not going to yield to God. If you want to stand on the periphery and have conditions of your life, those caustic conditions of your life, eat away at you and die without relationship with God. That is your choice. God's invitation is not compulsory. It's voluntary. The parameters of conceptions that we create to contain our understanding of God, they have to be challenged. And frequently, they have to be destroyed before his true power and presence can be appreciated. We have to push aside our biases to see Christ clearly and understand completely the function of that invitation that the Lord extends to us. Whenever we look at Scripture, we... We understand the stories that are read to us. We understand the stories that we, that we aspire to have. We, we know that Nathaniel seemed educated in Scripture. He was familiar with the established system of beliefs. He knew Moses and Samuel and David just as we know him and Philip and Paul. He, I'm sure, aspired to have a life as saturated with the presence of God as those who preceded him. We too are very familiar with, the, familiar with the spiritual accomplishments of the great men and women of the Bible. Their exploits in faith and their steadfast trust in God are enshrined within the Word. They give us the standard of service and relationship that we uh, aspire to achieve. We want our lives to read like the book of Acts. We want to witness and be used in, the miraculous, in miraculous healings or the conversion of cities to belief in Jesus. We want supernatural manifestations of God's Spirit through us. We want our lives to be changed in the grandest manner possible. But we simply won't heed the invitation. We, just as Nathaniel, have fashioned within our minds that acceptable framework of God's revelation and His power and presence in our lives. The incredible stories that we have that have revealed the power and presence of God that we've read throughout the Word. The things that God has accomplished through these individuals. He did that only after they recognized the invitation of God in their lives. Mr. Casey, you want to come? God's 
invitation to you, ladies and gentlemen, is designed to realign our perception. It's designed to realign your perception. You're going to have to accept an invitation that comes in a form you may not like. Well, the pastor and I spoke earlier today. He mentioned the, the longest recorded conversation in the Bible. It is recorded in the fourth chapter of the book of John. It is between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were despised by Jews. They were hated. And we often focus on the, on the conversion of the Samaritan woman. And I appreciate the power of that. When Jesus sat before her, when, he, when Jesus sat at the well and chose to speak with a woman that he wasn't supposed to, between them were the walls erected by their society. They were, they were religious walls, and they were the walls of gender and racial walls and moral walls. Those walls meant nothing to Jesus, but they did mean something to that woman. You are bound by the walls that keep you contained. You can't get beyond the fact that, that God's invitation is wrapped in a form that you, you really want to reject. You see, to me, the most amazing thing about that story is not really that Jesus poured himself and his truth into that woman. That was magnificent. It was that he chose an outcast among outcasts to carry that invitation back to the city of Sychar. He chose the most difficult invitation to carry that glory of his reality and, and identity. When that woman who was an outcast among the Samaritan stood before them. She spoke with boldness of the one that could change their lives. And they had to accept that invitation from someone they would have rather rejected. I don't know. I don't know what your invitation is clothed in. I don't know what it looks like to you if you can stand this morning. But I do know that God is calling you this morning. That He wants to do something beyond what you, you know. Besides, but beyond what you've normally accepted as something that He can do in your life. And He's been calling you for a considerable amount of time. But because of the method of His invitation, you have rejected that. I said earlier that if you need deliverance, come and see. And if you need emotional healing, come and see. And you responded like I thought you would. But here's something you need to know. Some of you may stand angry that you need deliverance. Or that you have a burden. And you think the invitation to Christ is simply in those three words, come and see. But actually, the invitation that God has been speaking to you has been in the burden. It has been in the need. 
Because those needs and those burdens and those problems are focusing your eyes on him. So I'm going to say one more time. We're going to open the altars to you this morning. We have very capable ministers up here. But Sister Casey, it doesn't matter about me or about them. What matters is that the invitation of Christ is penetrating your hearts this morning. And you have a choice. I'm either going to yield to the Spirit of God and let Him do something with me, or I'm going to reject that invitation. Come forward this morning. As our custom is, we'd like everyone to come forward. And if you have a need, if you need deliverance, if you need relationship with Christ, if you need to be moved beyond where you are, if something needs to change in your life, all I have got to say to you is come and see. Let the Spirit of God minister to you. Let Him move you beyond the place that you're in. Accept the method and manner of the invitation. And see what God will do for you this morning.